Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey, the stressed out Sony Metaverse Knockreiner. Why are you stressed out, Corey? You just had the best gift delivered. I know, Sony Metaverse is very good, but, but there's a lot of stress we'll talk about too. But maybe the Sony Metaverse will help. <laughs> Sorry. We will be discussing stress. Uh, but before that, we got a few different news topics ranging from Twitter's latest interesting uh, announcement to a breach involving a major web host and a new feature from the best smartphone manufacturer in the world. Uh, with that, <laughs> let's let's go ahead and... Uh, Look, and, they do and... some okay things, but the best smartphone manufacturer in the world. The I numbers assume don't say so. Touch a button from the Apple fanboy. <laughs> With that, <laughs> let's uh, zero click our way in. So let's uh, start this week with news article number one that I guess this item technically came out, I think, Friday, last Friday as of recording this, so maybe like a week and a half from now. But anyways... Uh, so if you've been following the absolute cluster F that is Twitter over the past few months, there have been some pretty uh, borderline erratic decisions, it feels like, here and there. Uh, and the most recent one, last week, Elon Musk announced that Twitter would be putting the SMS-based multi-factor authentication behind the $8 a month Twitter Blue subscription, effective March 20th. Hey, let's uh, be real. He He got the bill from his SMS vendor and he had a... A temper tantrum. That's exactly what, <laughs> that's what it was. That's what, I mean, no, 60 million a year. <laughs> I wonder if this is, I mean, I'm surprised they didn't do the strategy they're currently doing with their office leasing of just not paying it and seeing what happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I guess because uh, the bill's too big, no one gets security anymore. I guess I'm being hyperbolic. There is some exceptions, but let's get into it. So he claims it's being driven by a widespread SMS-based fraud. Basically, he's claiming that some certain telcos in uh, not necessarily the U.S., but other countries are using bots to rack up SMS-based texting bills from Twitter by abusing the SMS MFA notification. So you may remember a time quite a while ago, depending where you're at. Uh, where you used to have to pay for every text message you send. I think in the States, at least these days, it's you get unlimited texting, which is how it should be in a civilized world. Uh, but that's not the case all over the place. And in fact, it does cost carriers money per text message that you send or receive. Um, so Elon Musk is claiming that some of these unscrupulous telcos are creating Twitter accounts, signing up for MFA using SMS, and then triggering it over and over and over to rack up bills to the tunes of like tens of millions of dollars. Abusing the system. Yeah, exactly. By the way, if there were evidence of this, I actually agreed that those that those services should go to jail. I mean, uh, I you know, you would think threat actors might be doing this too, real threat actors trying to somehow brute force or play with it. But if it's actually people offering SMS services just trying to force their service to be used, that would be horrible. Exactly. So like, I understand his perspective on this one. But at the end of the day, the reality is so non Twitter blue users, so the people not paying eight bucks a month for a blue check mark, uh, need to switch over from SMS based multi factor authentication to another form of MFA, either app based or um, uh, hardware key based before March 20th, or they're going to lose MFA entirely. So there's risks to this. Like it, it's on the face of it in terms of like optics. It's kind of weird putting security behind a paywall. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, I hate that. I, I was mad at this too, but there is a big caveat. Like I, I was mad enough that like literally they're saying if you're using SMS-based security, you should turn it off if you're not paying because you'll be locked out. But that's what brought me to the thing that makes this a little less bad, Mark, which is I, I guess it moves the cost of the customer if you don't well, actually know Google Authenticator is free. Just because they're turning off text-based SMS doesn't mean they're not offering two-factor. 
So that's the thing that I, I kind of hate the why. I hate what Musk is doing in general with Twitter. But you can have your security without this paywall. You just have to go to Twitter, turn off SMS, which, by the way, is the least secure of the options they offer anyways, and turn on an authenticator app. And the key thing for Twitter is that removes any cost from them. They no longer have to pay for SMS text messages. Uh, and uh, by the way, if you're an AuthPoint user, the AuthPoint uh, app works perfectly. Uh, and I think that that's an extremely good point. And if this were like locking all MFA between, behind the Twitter blue checkmark thing, I think it'd be ridiculous. Disgusting, horrible. Yeah. Right. Um, which unfortunately, like some vendors still lock like SAML authentication behind paywalls and stuff too, or additional paid services. But I, on the flip side of this, it is like disincentivizing the weakest form of MFA, which while leaving the other ones could be considered a good thing. Like the reality is SMS-based multi-factor authenticate, it's better than nothing if you have no other option. For sure. But if you have other options, it's the weakest one by like a mile. Yeah. Um, so... Twitter it actually is, felt, albeit the easiest one. Like the, the right. only downside to noob users is they may not like the authenticator app is pretty easy too. download Google Authenticator for free, point it a QR code and you're good to go. But I think most noob users pick SMS because they don't know about authenticator apps. That sounds like Greek to them. And just getting a text message is easy. So I wish I wish they would at they being Twitter would at least hijack the media communication because we all I, I mean I don't think either you or I love Twitter right now so it's easy to kind of throw stones but the noob users out there should know that they can use Twitter still with some security for free they just the message shouldn't be you can no longer use SMS to FA. It should be, hey, if you want to do this for free, go to the Authenticator app. Or there is one other option I think Twitter has, which I'm guessing is email, but I'll tell you. Okay, uh, so hardware-based. And so actually, I, I recently made the change myself, yeah. Most Twitter users that have multi-factor authentication do use SMS-based MFA. So Twitter actually had a transparency report in 2021 uh, seemingly their last one because Elon Musk is no longer transparent about anything at Twitter uh, other than his feelings on <laughs> any given day. Um, and in their last transparency report, they actually gave stats on MFA usage at Twitter. Um, so of all the users that used MFA, 74% of them used text message based, so SMS based. 29-ish percent used an authenticator app and one half of 1% used a security key. Now, so lopping off three quarters of your users typical MFA is going to be pretty disruptive. And I have to imagine a large portion of those are going to go to nothing at all versus going through the process of downloading AuthPoint or Google Authenticator and doing that. But if you look at the percentage of users that use MFA just period for Twitter, only 2.6% of users actually have wow. MFA. Wow. Yeah. We're doing a bad job, Mark. I mean, we should we literally tell everyone who listens to this, if a website offers free multi-factor take them up on it please it's protecting you exactly that's like, sad. yeah that's horrible and i get it like your twitter account it's not like your bank account it's not like your corporate whatever account but the reality is like if someone were to compromise that they could still use it to social engineer your friends and family they could use it to spread malware they could use it to try and steal your identity and social engineer people you work with to gain access to other stuff like it just opens the door a little bit and like you said, it's free. Like, yes, now you can't do text-based. You'd have to use an app or a hardware token. But like, you have options to secure it. And it's actually, it's insane that only 2.6% of users have MFA enabled. Kind of blows my mind. Um, and then the other thing I want to hit on. So this is all driven by like claims. And you have to take everything that comes out of Elon Musk's mouth with a giant heaping spoonful of salt. Uh, but claims of widespread fraud around racking up uh, bills from SMS-based multi-factor authentication. I wonder how rampant that is across the industry as a whole. Yeah, that was, a, it, the, granted, this is just from Elon Musk tweet, so we don't know how true it is, but he said 60 million. Like, it blew my mind that even a site that has as many users, billions, right, at least over 1 billion as Twitter, 
could rack up 60 million just in texting costs. Like even if you have to pay for SMS, they should be like pennies. So to have 60 million a year of costs is insane. So is that legitimate? Actually, it makes more sense that they're getting lots of abuse and that's why the bill would come up. So that's, I guess the question is, on one hand, if the abuse is literally threat actors trying to log into Twitter, you should realize the importance of 2FA (laughs) because yes, it shows up as abuse for your bill, but that's why you need it. Now on the flip side, this new like rumor of telcos setting up the bots to do the abuse again if that's true some authority needs to investigate that and put all those companies in jail because that is pure fraud i i would i'm i'm upset that the cyber criminals are fraud too but it's like when a legitimate business a quote unquote legitimate business does fraud that's even more disgusting to me so i i don't know but all we have to go on is a 60 million dollar bill so if that's correct I don't think any company should be paying 60 million for text messages. And there are other ways to, I'm not saying this is a good thing. There's other areas that threat actors could theoretically illicitly make money using the phone system as well too. So I remember it was a black hat or a DEF CON talk, I think probably three or four years ago. One of the, uh, the old elevator hacking talks that happens at the end of the conference almost every single year. And in this one, they were theorizing on how to monetize the ability to force an elevator to make a phone call somewhere. So, you know, elevators have the ability to make a call with their little thing. Typically you pick it up and it goes directly to some like operator or switchboard for emergency stuff. Um, But they found ways to even remotely trigger it to make a call wherever they wanted. And they're thinking, how could we make money off of this? And there's the, the concept of, I think there's 700 numbers. So, you know, 800 is toll free, whatever. 700 is like a paid service. Think like calling up your psychic or whatever off of an infomercial <laughs> where you're charged per minute or per second of the call. And they theorized and did some math of if they could get all of the elevators on their college campus to call one of these uh, 700 numbers that charges like five bucks a minute or whatever, they could make a hefty amount of cash off of that. So like this isn't, I mean, obviously that was a DEF CON talk. It's not necessarily a real world example, but this isn't outside the realm of like reality of abusing some of these systems like this in order yeah. to make money on the side. So I do like, I give Elon Musk a lot of crap. I think maybe he's overblowing it a little bit. I guarantee there is still a decent amount of fraud like this going on because it makes sense, especially from like international telco providers that maybe have less oversight than what we have with the FTC here. Yeah, yeah. That bill would would upset me too. And I was kind of mad when it felt like the message was nobody gets 2FA if they don't pay. But that's also why that now I I do think authenticator app not only is a viable option, it's probably the option you should have used anyways. Uh, I, I guess it takes a little work to download, but by now every site has authenticator apps. By the way, even if you don't pay for AuthPoint, you can download AuthPoint for free and use it as your authenticator for all these public authenticator sites. So good way to test our product before you set up for your own enterprise-based MFA. So so ultimately, you know, I'm still not going to throw any parties for Musk, but... But uh, and I don't like the if they ever go full paywall for security features, that's just horrible. But this this in hindsight, once you realize the authenticator app is there, it's not as horrible as I felt it was when I first read the headlines. Exactly. I am looking forward to the absolute uh, mess that will likely happen on March 20th when people that haven't been paying attention lose MFA. All get that locked was literally out. the only thing that was protecting them from account takeovers because they also have crap passwords. By the way, they don't lose only lose MFA. They lose their access to their account unless they, I don't think they'll be, I mean, I think that's even Twitter is saying you will be at risk of not getting into your Twitter account. So. I'm sure it'll go swell and really <laughs> affect their remaining 3,000 users that they probably have left at this point. Yeah, if you wanted something else, by the way, before I knew about the Authenticator app, this was big enough to, like, I'm already considering, should I drop to, it's such a good thing for work and keeping up with our our community out there, but I was considering dropping it. So, man, anybody that's in that position. A hefty percentage of the community, of InfoSec community I follow, already permanently switched to Mastodon, which has its own issues. 
which we could honestly, maybe we'll cover that at some point with uh, the risks of a federated system like Mastodon. But anyway, this is a little off topic, but I just read, I, I will send it to you. But for listeners out there, I did. This is a Wired headline, so don't uh, beat me for uh, there's a cool Wired article by Cory Doctorow, by the way, an author I love and follow called The Inshidification of T TikTok. <laughs> in shitification but what it's really talking about is every single free platform whether it be myspace facebook amazon and it and uh twitter and you mentioned mastodon I, the reason i bring this up is this is how every platform that starts out free works they make these platforms and they focus on great things for the users we're going to do good things for you for free because we want you all to join this platform as soon as they get users their platform focuses on forget the users now let's deal with all the vendors who want to advertise and we'll only do good things for the vendors and we'll ignore the users and that will bring all the money in advertisers but then once they take over the advertisement and become the platform that everyone is using then they screw all the other third-party companies and they just make it a platform for themselves. So think Amazon. It used to bring in customers because it's a great way to search for anything. But then it started getting bad for customers with all kinds of crap. Then they brought in all the third-party sellers and made things great for them. But at the end of the day, Amazon decided to see what sold well and make their own versions of it. So it happens to TikTok. It happens to Facebook. It's happening to Twitter as we speak. So I only bring that up because you mentioned Mastodon. <laughs> Yeah, if it start if point. it starts out as a free platform for people trying to get you it because that other platform has been inshitificationed, <laughs> well, you can probably assume that the pay for itself one day Mastodon will be inshitificationed too. I can't Again, help but Wired's uh, term, not mine. <laughs> correct. I can't help but also realize that it feels like with Twitter, this has all been drastically accelerated by the presence of Elon Musk in the company. Like, oh, yes, sure. they, they weren't profitable before he came on, but it's like that whole clown show of him acquiring the company uh, just like caused them to hemorrhage advertisers, lose users left and right. Like it's insane. He literally killed it. Like it's all he had to do is not touch it. And Twitter probably would have chugged along for quite a bit longer. But eh, oh, whatever. for sure. We'll see. Uh, I'm not bitter. You're bitter. <laughs> um, so moving on, um, on February 17th, the, uh, web hosting provider and NASCAR sponsor, GoDaddy announced you go the daddy. <laughs> Mark is such a daddy. Okay. You go, <laughs> uh, not touching that one announced via an sec filing that it had suffered a multi-year security compromise that allowed an unknown threat actor to steal company source code customer and employee login credentials, and install malware that redirected customer websites to malicious websites. This was no. crazy. The multi-year, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the three uh, like individual serious incidents that were all carried out by the same intruder began in 2020 and lasted through 2022, the most recent one being in December of 2022, where the threat actor gained access to the cPanel hosting service, uh, servers that uh, customers used to manage their GoDaddy websites and installed malware that intermittently redirected customer websites to malicious sites. Uh, that's the one malvertising. Let's just hack GoDaddy and then all their sites will redirect for us. Uh, so this one they had not previously disclosed until this SEC filing. They had disclosed the two previous incidents in 2020 and 2021 by notifying uh, users with a letter uh, if they were affected. This is also on top of in 2019, you may have remembered, uh, they had a DNS name server misconfiguration that allowed uh, threat actors to hijack 78 domain names belonging to the likes of like Expedia, Mozilla, uh, 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 Yolp, not Yolo, oh my God, um, Yelp, <laughs> and other organizations, um, which like caused You're a bit of a havoc on that day. <laughs> so, uh, GoDaddy's been having a bit of a rough half a decade. And I mean, first off, the big takeaway from this is like we've been talking about supply chain attacks for it feels like forever now on this podcast and outside the podcast. This is yet another example of a software supply chain attack that affects ultimate users of the service, like an attack against GoDaddy allowed malware to run on these hosting uh, platforms, which then effectively took over and redirected victim uh, websites. 
there's not a whole lot you can do as a victim to protect against this other than vetting the vendors that you try and work with. And I'd love to see what the vendor evaluation for GoDaddy looks like, because even this would be kind of difficult to pick up. Obviously, they didn't notice for quite a while on this last one as well, too. Yeah, this one's hard for me. Like, I want to, I, I, it just, attacks are hard to find sometimes, but it, like, not to know for so long, just, it feels like they, and this is probably true of a lot of medium-sized businesses, but your small businesses, you'd hope something like GoDaddy's different, but no monitoring capability at all. Because it just lasted for so long. I wanted to give GoDaddy credit for at least, you know, if you have this multi-year, three-year thing, at least transparently sharing this. But the truth is, I'm not sure if they did because it wasn't like a blog post. It, they had they only did it out of requirement for the SEC. I mean, as as part of a public company, I, I I haven't seen anything yet where they actually they probably have blog posts now that a million articles has come out. But yeah, I, I'm with you. Vendor validation is the way to go. Uh, GoDaddy may not have always the best reputation, but I just expected that's putting it lightly. Them, yeah, they. <laughs> I just somehow just expected they would be a company that has at least made enough revenue that they would have some basic monitoring. I, so I would I love to know. GoDaddy is like the Applebee's of web hosting. It's like you're getting a microwave meal probably at that true. point. Like, yeah, you, you shouldn't have any expectations for anything around like. But you Applebee's know, is a huge chain, food. right? You'd at least, you may not expect Applebee's to give you the best food. But you still would expect Applebee's not to poison you, <laughs> or or okay, maybe or at least I do. Back in the box is a better idea. Didn't they have like a giant E. coli outbreak okay. at some point in the two thousands? It's okay. Uh, GoDaddy is the jack of the GoDaddy box. GoDaddy sucks. I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, but actually, so you brought up another good point there with the SEC requirements. Like they disclose this through a filing to the SEC because current requirements require you to disclose in some time frame, any substantial cyber incident that could impact your publicly traded organization. Uh, there's actually, uh, right now, I think it's in like the request for comment stage, a proposed change to the SEC requirements requiring, what was it, like 24-hour disclosure of a potential cybersecurity incident as soon as you know about it publicly to the SEC, which is just That's too much, right? Yeah. I mean, as, as someone that knows the investigation, like I am very much, just so you know, especially when customers are affected for transparent and very quick disclosure, but you do not know much about what happened 24 hours into your your first time to detect. So I, I think it's very smart to have strong, transparent cybersecurity disclosure requirements. I think 24 hours is crazy. I, I don't I, I think even law enforcement sometimes wants to be involved before you've disclosed in some cases uh, be in that time and even even their lawyers can't get a cease and or a, a gag order within 24 hours. So, so that's actually another really good point is that there is no provision in the current proposed rule for law enforcement actions so like as it stands right now you know you have requirements as a an organization publicly traded organization to disclose cybersecurity incidents but if there's like an active ongoing law enforcement or national security um investigation into it like in general you are not compelled to disclose especially to the sec out of the interests of our country and our national security this proposed rule the sec is like at odds with every other government agency saying yeah whatever we don't care they still have to disclose doesn't matter if you're a part of a national security investigation, which is kind of insane. And that's where they're getting a ton of pushback on it from. I'd be surprised. Well, I don't know. I don't want to say I'd be surprised if it makes it through in its current form because I'm not really surprised about anything with our government these days. Um, but it would be damaging to the public's interest if organizations are forced to disclose before they know any of the details. And before and it, without any ability for like law enforcement or national security interests to say, actually, you know what, pause for a second so we don't impact something that we are trying to action on. So at the end of the day, though, as a publicly traded organization, it's interesting still seeing the SEC being the one driving disclosures. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I like transparency. I feel like organizations should be um, on their own transparent. 
especially to their customers to do right by them. Uh, but if, at least if it's not them doing it on their own, being compelled is, I guess, suppose the next best thing as long as there's guardrails on it. Yeah. And to be clear that what we won't disclose, like I, I, I don't, we're not looking for the drama or the gory details of a breach. I don't even think the average Joe is looking at, I, we can't help it. We're in the security or industry. So we wonder if they're negligent, but there's really only two reasons I want people to, it, it's if, if the attack affects people other than the organization. So the two reasons you disclose are one, a customer or, or other partner data has your breach affected other people by that data getting out there. And the SEC, I assume, cares about, is there something that's going to financially affect your business that your public stockholders should know? So I agree with the reasoning. Those are the reasons to disclose. It's not because the public should know every detail about an incident that doesn't affect anyone but your company. You know, and there, there may be little incidents that don't touch customer data are not going to affect your company. There's, you know, you don't have to air your dirty laundry for every single thing. But it's really when it affects other people, it's just common courtesy to let those other people know and not let them suffer the consequence, especially if it was from your mistake. Exactly. And that's basically what it boils down to is enabling your users, your customers to act on the knowledge of it and maybe like change their password. Protect or themselves. Or get protect. Yeah, exactly. Protect themselves. Or so not invest as much if they choose not correct. to. <laughs> or choose a literally any other hosting provider under the sun. <laughs> but anyways, that's enough enough stones and well, not glass houses. I, I have no love loss for GoDaddy. Um, moving on, though. Uh, so also last week, uh, Samsung announced a new feature for their message guard security platform on their mobile phones uh, that's currently present on their Galaxy smartphones and tablets to help combat against zero-click cyber attacks. Uh, so zero-click, it's effectively like some examples of this. Back in uh, 2015, you probably heard of Stage Fright, where a maliciously crafted image or video file uh, sent to any phone number, any Android phone number could trigger a remote code execution vulnerability on that phone without the user interacting with it at all. Basically, when your phone receives a text message or a multimedia message, it does some stuff automatically before you even open that message just to get it ready for you. And there is a vulnerability in that attachment processing engine back in 2015 that could execute uh, arbitrary code, again, without you even opening that text message. Now, another example, in 2020, uh, Citizen Lab uncovered the, the Pegasus spyware, which abused a zero-click vulnerability in iOS that allowed them to install spyware on targeted devices. So basically, zero-click issues on mobile devices are when a threat actor is able to execute code or perform some action on your phone without you interacting at all. They are the absolute worst-case scenario in the mobile phone space, and that's why Apple pays, I think, $2 million now is what their bounty is for a zero-click issues in iOS that escape the sandbox. Um, so to combat this, um, I guess one other caveat on this before we jump on, I, we've seen the rise of end-to-end -end encryption for messages uh, these days as well, too. It's like WhatsApp, Signal, these apps do it relatively by default. On uh, Android, you've got RCS now, rich chat system, uh, which enables end-to-end -end encryption for all your messages. And that prevents, A, people from being able to read your messages if it aren't you or the recipient. But it also prevents security tools from acting on it while it's on the way. And so you're relying on the phone itself uh, to be able to view the message and look for any malicious activity. Um, so Samsung states that this new message guard feature can automatically quarantine and neutralize potential threats concealed within various image files before they cause any harm on the device. Basically, when your device receives a message uh, with this type of attachment, it will automatically isolate that file from the rest of it and lock down any potential malicious code. It will then scan the image before processing it uh, to make sure that it can't infect the device. Um, as it stands right now, this feature is only on the Galaxy S23 devices, which just came out. My pre-order should be delivered sometime this week. Um, but it will be enabled on other Galaxy smartphone devices running the One UI 5.1 version or later sometime this year. It works with Samsung Messages, but they've also opened it up to work with Messages by Google and will eventually be adding third-party messaging apps uh, by the end of the year as well, too. Uh, and last note, 
doesn't need to be activated, runs silently in the background, which is kind of neat too. But first and foremost, like Corey, I think you're queuing up a Samsung joke about me being a uh, fanboy. Is that okay? Cool. No, no, no. I, 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 I don't participate in your Apple fanboy to me. I was more making a joke that you said your pre-order is coming, and I had to point out that we both got our PS2 pre-orders today. So just happy to PS2? share that non-related PSVR2. total. PSVR2. Thank you. <laughs> Good point. PSVR2. <laughs> so that totally not worthwhile to a security podcast thing was that all that was on my mind. This, this sounds Corey like a and new I feature, are... but oh, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, smart ass comment real quick. Corey and I are such hip gamers that we just got our PS2s today. Absolutely, man. <laughs> I can't wait to play the first uh, uh, Jackson. Spyro and uh, DDR. <laughs> Spyro, there you go. I actually made a, I took, I had a plasticky DDR pad, but I took out all the sensors and I actually, it's probably still in storage. I made like a wood box with a bar and I huh. remember buying the acrylic glass stuff. So I had like an arcade style homemade DIY dance dance revolution thing, even with the bar so you could hold. Anyways, <laughs> totally Anyways, awesome. Back to the subject. story. I think this is a pretty cool feature too. Yeah. But I, when I think of zero click, like zero click is just the marketing buzzword for uh, any sort of zero day flaw in anything that doesn't require user interaction. So they're just, uh, yes, for phones, the messaging one with images is one way, but there could be other zero click things. So message guard doesn't, I, I would say it doesn't block against all zero click attacks, but it, it sounds like a cool feature for protecting messages but at least from like, malicious so images. Text messages, or I guess specifically multimedia messages, MMS, have been a very popular attack avenue for sure. delivery method for zero click. Like it's difficult to de deliver a zero click attack over a phone call, as an example. So, or, or, but on computers, there are other methods. But the point I think you're still trying to make is most zero click attacks need a server. And phones and mobile devices have very few listening servers other than that will just accept things from anybody other than MMS or SMS. So, for phones specifically, it makes sense that most zero click attacks probably arrive through, uh, you know, a messaging system. But on and a computer, there, are, there could be many different zero-click attacks that don't necessarily, you know, it, it, parsing any file by any application. I, I mean, email, a lot of the zero-click attacks there just have to do with file parsing of some sort. And their announcements for this, though, is very much a, a I guess, all announcements for new features or marketing pieces. But this is clearly like a sales piece for the, the new Galaxy S23 devices. But, like, under, at the end of the day, it is a... Use without, I guess, additional knowledge of how it works. It is a useful feature. And it's interesting that this is like being baked into Samsung devices specifically and not being an initiative driven by Google and the whole Android ecosystem. Like this feels like a protection that should exist within Android itself that Google should be championing. And yes, Android is open source, but I mean, let's be real, Google owns it for lack of a better word. They're the ones driving most of the innovation in the underlying operating system. And to give Samsung credit, they are the ones that have Fort Knox, right? So they actually have a, I actually think Android is not bad at delivering security faster than some of these phone vendors keep up with it. Often phone vendors not like Samsung are very behind on Android stuff. But I think Samsung, you know, have kind of made a point in their marketing with things like Fort Knox of building additional security on top of Android when they felt it wasn't enough. So, yeah, they do. I Like I said, I'm not just Apple fanboy. Samsung has been doing a pretty good job. Well, like I said, I will be getting mine hopefully this week. And that means no more zero click attacks against me, Corey. <laughs> oh, bummer. All that image work I've been doing lately, figuring out the perfect meme you'd actually, well, actually, in this case, I wouldn't have to you to even open my message. I'd just have to send it. So anyways, right. all that work out the door. Bummer. Unless I Joke's send on it you. in the next three days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so moving on, last topic I wanted to cover. It's not really a news thing, but it's baked up from a couple of re somewhat related news articles I read over the course of last week that brought up like an interesting topic. Um, so last week, I would say a topic you and I have probably even felt personally before. Yes, 1000%. Uh, so <laughs> last week, 
uh, Mimecast released their state of ransomware readiness report for 2022, which, you know, on the face of it includes a lot of statistics about, you know, organizations, defensive strategies and ability to respond and defend against ransomware, kind of stuff you'd expect from the style of report, which was a survey based uh, thing to IT leadership around the world. But it also included a lot of statistics about mental health, uh, typically around ransomware, but around cybersecurity in general. They were pretty interesting, or at least brought up an interesting topic that, like, like Corey just hinted at, like, it's a real issue in our industry. So, like, to throw some of these out there, they found that 54% of cybersecurity leaders report that ransomware attacks have negatively impacted their mental health. Makes sense. 56% say that the role gets more stressful every single year. And one third of cybersecurity leaders globally are thinking of leaving their role sometime in the next two years due to burnout. That goes up to 46% in some countries like the United Arab Emirates or UK. And do you know, I didn't read the full report, but I read a lot of articles. When they're saying leaves the role, do they mean leave cybersecurity or just leave the leadership role? of it? I, I presume just leave cybersecurity for something technical, but not not cybersecurity. So in this case, it was the leadership role, but there was actually a separate one. So Gartner uh, recently released a similar report too where they found that half of all cybersecurity leaders plan to change their job in the next two, year, two years, and half of those, so one quarter total, plan to leave the security sector entirely due to work-related stress. And it makes sense. Like, So some quotes from that one it says, uh, Gartner research shows that compliance-centric cybersecurity programs, low execu- executive support, and subpar industry-level maturity are all indicators of an organization that does not view security risk management as critical to business success. And burnout and voluntary attrition are outcomes of poor organizational culture. While eliminating stress is an unrealistic goal, people can manage incredibly challenging and stressful jobs in cultures where they are supported. And I think this was a good point. Like the reality is, it's, I, yes, cybersecurity is stressful. It's not the only stressful job out there. Like, don't get me wrong. Like there's way more stressful jobs out there. Just go work in a hospital as an example, but it is a stressful job. And if you don't have support backing you up, it just makes it even worse. And I can totally see the burnout that could potentially cause a leader to just leave the industry entirely and say, screw it. I'm gonna go work at Baskin Robbins the rest of my life or more realistically, maybe not in security, but in like just general just IT, IT technical yeah, yeah, programming. Yeah. No, I agree 100%. And by the way, I mean, let's say I, I, I'm not saying it's the most stressful job. I, you know, surgeons, nurses, but I, I think even as we we're reading some of these articles, I mean, they do compare it to the same type of P- PSTD that happens in war. Uh, I, I think a, a lot of our fight or flight response has to do with <laughs> old wiring the brain that's used to tigers and lions chasing us or in physical war, real actual enemies. But our brain hasn't developed enough to differentiate that from this kind of digital hard to see attack that but the point i'm trying to make is we shouldn't undersell how stressful it can be because there seem to be studies that you know people that are having this negative response and stress to working in cybersecurity are having very similar reactions to people that are actually on a war field uh not that they're equivalent levels of risk but that our brain kind of takes over the same way in either case yeah, that's a good like to all of our veteran friends out there. No way in any way comparing this to actually being on the battlefield. But so no. there was actually one of the articles I wrote, I think it was Computer Weekly, had a comment from uh, Peter Coronius, uh, who is the founder of CyberMindsWithAZ.org, which is an organization that promotes mental health in the cyber community. And he had some interesting and believable takes on this one. So he noted that our flight or flight, our fight or flight response I can switch on extremely quickly and bypass the rational part of our brain. And while the limbic system, so the fight or flight response, when it takes over, you know, generates stress hormones that are released, your uh, extra blood's pumped to your muscles, you become hyper alert. And when you're safe again, though, from a physical threat, after you've run away from the dinosaur trying to eat you, your brain's able to calm down and return to normal and de-escalate its state. But when that doesn't happen, when the threat isn't physical. So in a digital a stressor scenario where you're, you know, responsible for the security of your organization. Maybe you just respond to this incident or you're in the process of responding to the incident. 
like that stress doesn't go away. So the flight, the fight or flight response does not go away because uh, your brain can't distinguish between physical and psychological threats like that. And that means you're just in a continuous state of stress with no discharge. And that is clearly not good. Yeah, yeah. And to add, I, I think the one thing I remember from an article I read about it was one issue with cybersecurity work is your work is invisible to the rest of the organization until an incident happens. But it's also invisible to you. I mean, part of why you're stressed about things is you're, we do all this stuff that is supposed to either prevent and protect against an incident or to be able to quickly recover. And sure, we try to tabletop or red team things to try to test this stuff when we can. But often, you know, it, it's how do you let go of the stress? There is no discharge until almost the worst case scenario where you have the incident. So you see the results of your work, whether it was good or bad. But when you're in the incident, even if you've done good work, you'll have new stress for that. So I, uh, the, the fact that all we do is kind of invisible in, in our head, like we're doing things we know are right and hopefully improving security and making us better able to react when stuff does happen. But you're like constantly battling with yourself of not knowing, you know, what your missing gap is until you get into a situation where you're tested. And I think that's a kind of a constant, certainly as a CISO of a, or CSO of an organization, it's on my mind all the time. <laughs> yeah. And there's other effects that like compound this too. Like we talk often about the the cybersecurity skills gap that our industry is facing. And the reality of that boils down to there's not enough skilled workers for the amount of work that needs to be done. And so if you are in the industry, that just means you have more on your plate to handle individually, or at least your slice of it, which can help compound some of the stress as well, too. Um, and then I, what are your thoughts? Like, so budget decreases, too. So we've been seeing, you know, some organizations, uh, the Threat of it's weird. It's, yeah, it's weird. We hear a lot about, you know, tech layoffs and the threat of economics. We also do see and we, we know that security organizations feel under budgeted, but we also see stuff that says at least cybersecurity has hit enough media that it's a place where people are saying they're they're either spending more or the equivalent. So it's a mix there, but I think budget adds to it for sure. I mean, if you the uh, the pure hard issue with security is it doesn't directly contribute to the bottom of line of most organizations. It's it indirectly contributes, and that that's hard for a lot of people to realize. If you don't do it, you're probably going to lose some bottom line. But it's it's never going to be the focus of most organizations because it's not what their mission is. Like even watchguards, well. We're strange and our mission is to help other people get security. But to do that, we have to be selling our products and services. And that's really ultimately our mission to help other people's security. But uh, my budget, you know, at, at least as a security vendor, we have a reputational side of things. So maybe my budget is better than others. But the average business doesn't have that that as much. So, yeah, bud budget affects it for sure. I do like, I'd like to talk about recommendations, but I do like what you mentioned before, because I do think the right people and the right support is the answer to this, yes. but keep going. Oh, the last thing I want to hit on as another potential factor in it is like, let's say go back 10 years, maybe 15 years, like the big data breaches of that time, like Yahoo or whatever, like people outside of IT or even security probably wouldn't have ever heard of it. It certainly wouldn't have made the news. But these days, it feels like at least once a week, there's some major cybersecurity incident that makes headlines on NBC, ABC, Fox, whatever. And I wonder what like the impact of just cybersecurity issues, so like the, the, the failures, for lack of a better word, uh, being highly publicized at this point could potentially have on stress within the industry. Yeah, it's weird. I think the articles even talked about that. I mean, you started this whole thing of talking about a report of the state of ransomware. And on a good news, I, I've said this myself as sometimes one that's been in security for over 20 years now. At the beginning, cybersecurity was never in the news. And it didn't seem like when the worst risks were like more prank viruses than steal your money and credentials viruses people didn't care it was it was even worse so for a while there i really liked that mass media uh 
was starting to understand cybersecurity and starting to show things because it brought cybersecurity to a more public level. So I thought that was good. But like anything in life, I think there's a pendulum where you need to be in the middle, not at the extremes. And I think, you know, when you take news that has this 24-7 news cycle of trying to give the polarized, most hyperbolic opinions to get views it's almost gone too far in that there's ransomware everywhere and all these reports are meant you know you and i we try our best to not breed fear uncertainty and doubt we want people to understand the risk and do the right thing to minimize that risk but also not think the sky is falling but i can also see that if you look at how much cybersecurity has really inundated mass media now you're always worried <laughs> But I think on the same line, I feel like we're in an era where that's everything in life. I mean, we had the pandemic, we have nuclear, uh, all our nuclear treaties have gone away. So we're now in a nuclear arms race again. We have a war in Ukraine with cyber war forefront. We have AI taking over the world like Skynet. So I and I, I do think there's news is ultimately a good thing if it's transparent. But I actually do think the 24-7 media cycle has put all of humanity in this this situation where we think there's a huge amount of risk, but the real risk is much more manageable. And unfortunately, it's contributing to all of our stresses. We, we think the world's a worse place than it really is. You know, I talk a lot about, you've probably heard me say this story because it's a, a, a independence argument I sometimes have with parents where we now have sex offender lists where I can go online and know where every single sex offender is in my neighborhood. And as a result, many parents are super worried about child molestation and, and, and kidnapping. The FBI stats show that is down. The only difference is we have technology and media that is showing us where it is and thus making it a big risk in our head. But statistically, it's a low risk. Statistically, dying in a plane crash or all the crazy things we worry about, we're more likely to slip on a tile in our bathroom and die by hitting our head on a toilet. So we worry all phobia. this. <laughs> we worry about all these risks that aren't really the statistical risk. And I think while cybersecurity does have risk, I do think it's gotten to the point where you know, it's mentally bigger in our head than it really is. There's things you can do to mitigate it. And even if the risk hits you, the truth is there's better ways you can remediate and recover without having to suffer the worst consequence. And if we can keep people aware, aware of security, but not drive this hyperbolic, you know, hyperbole machine of fear, uncertainty and doubt, I definitely think it's affecting us practitioners too, because we worry that there's a cybersecurity attack around everything. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And when it comes to like, how do we combat this? Like, I'll let you dive into like the systemic or organizational, like right people, right place thing. But on a personal level, like there are things you can do for yourself if you feel like you're in this position. Like one of the recommendations from that Peter Coronius guy uh, was to adopt the iRest, which is invig invigorative rest protocol. And it basically boils down to just like meditation and self-reflection to calm yourself down in the moment and get out of that uh, limbic system response at that point. Like even outside that, like just meditation or simple like breathing exercises can help too. And overall stress management on a like macro level of making sure you've got a good work-life balance and you're not just fully invested in work 24 seven and you're able to take like a vacation or time off and just completely unplug. This is a good tip for everyone. Stress happens in every job. And uh, there, a Google executive wrote about positive intelligence. And us as an executive staff, uh, you know, read it, did some coaching around it. I even did some personal coaching. And managing stress, period, and de-escalating in your mind. I, there's all kinds of simple techniques from rubbing your fingers to going outside to... Uh, Lots of things you can do. And when I was saying, this isn't even from an institutional level, but I actually think this tip is it for your whole team too. I, I found in my career, there were times I was working on really hard projects that there's a lot of, it was a pain in the butt, there was stress, there was conflict. But when you're with the right people, somehow we were still having fun and doing a, a good job despite all that conflict. And I think it has to do with finding people that 
understand this personal de-escalation and can help other people do it with themselves. Something I hope I even get better at. You know, I know that sometimes the little bad habits of mine surface when I'm feeling stressed out. And the more, you know, you can manage yourself and encourage other people. I, I mean, when you have the right people around you, and I don't just mean budget and executive support, when you have a good team around you and you know each other, you you understand each other's weaknesses and you can help each other de-escalate their stress when you can tell they're feeling it, as well as try to manage your own. I, I think, you know, the best relationships tend to be forged in fires. You know, we, we made a comparison while we say that for sure cybersecurity is not like, a, you know, a soldiers having to go out and put their life in danger. I bet for the horrible experiences they go through, some of them have the most lifelong friendships and close connections that they've ever had because they go through this together and go through it in a way where they could help each other and, and, and maybe find a... A protective benefit so i definitely like this idea i've i rest and think about you, you can only fix yourself you can't fix others but if you start to practice things like this yourself when you do see others feeling stressed out rather than being upset at them or whatever try to you know share how you found how to cope with it and then you can build a team around you that hopefully doesn't panic reacts calmly deals with stress as a team and tries to take some of the load off each other so that uh, everyone gets a break. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But like even at a minimum, like making sure you take care of your own mental health is key to this and cybersecurity sure. and IT in general or in any role you may potentially have. So I, I liked that like these couple of articles like brought that up as a topic and like at a minimum, like maybe go practice some meditation. Uh, it's I've, Coming from my own perspective, you know, it feels a little funky sometimes, but it is very good at just helping you calm yeah. down and reset and get out of that. I don't think everyone realizes how simple meditation is. They all get into this like spiritual connection and, and meditation is sometimes simple breathing and reaction. So I'm with you 100%. Go practice meditation. If, it doesn't have to be this weird connection. Work. It's just breathing. And if that doesn't work, go buy a copy of Stardew Valley and go play that and you'll calm right down real quick. That's my next recommendation. <laughs> I don't know. What if Best you lose a ever. whole crop? You just reset <laughs> the day and then you're fine. So you're telling me you shouldn't try to go in and combat quietly some clickers in Last of Us? That's not going to help you relax, Mark? No, exactly. <laughs> go into PSVR and play one of the horror, play Resident Evil Village in VR so that you get an even more immersive, stressful experience. That is the opposite of a good tip. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and all right, I think it's time to boot up this PSVR 2 on my PS2. Man, imagine that. 3D line vector graphics with the PS2 behind it. That would double be rendering cool, on a actually. PS2, that would be blocky as heck. Challenge accepted. <laughs> hey everyone, thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter, which still exists. You don't have to pay for every feature yet, just most of them. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to get locked out. I don't have blue verified. Yeah, I'm at XORRO underscore Corey is at SecAdept and the both of us are at hashtag the 443 podcast. Thanks again for listening and you will hear from us next week. Oh, wait, that wasn't a zero click. Here's the zero click. You see? It's exactly what we're talking about. Yep. Yeah.